Hey, good day. My name is Phil DeCruz. Welcome to a new episode of Cruising with Phil. My new guest, first time meeting him in person, talking a good bit of tweet, is Albert Cole from Bikeways Coalition. Uh, a community bikeways, but that's pretty close. <laughs> okay, excuse me. I, I've been St. Patrick's yeah, I've had a little this morning. <laughs> so how are you doing, Albert? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you're busy, so I just want to tell the people who you are and what you're all about. Okay. Well, I mostly work on road safety advocacy. I, I'm an environmental lawyer. I founded a group recently, well, three years ago now, called Bikeways uh, Coalition. But uh, uh, certainly uh, road safety issues are always top of mind and uh, uh, top of priority for me. Oh, wow. How long is the, uh, I don't, how, how, what year did you start the coalition? The, uh, well, we started that, uh, so we started that just at the outset of the pandemic. And our, our thinking, what happened was, and we're like a lot of uh, people, um, you, you know, new circumstances, uh, new challenges. Uh, we thought to ourselves, how can we help? Um, so a, a bunch of us got together, uh, cycling and walking uh, advocates, and decided what we should be doing is finding more space for people to ride their bikes. That, of course, was the key issue at the beginning of the pandemic. Where are we going to find this space uh, to do the things we should be doing, which mainly at that time was social distancing, as well as doing the things uh, that we always have wanted to do, which is getting exercise, getting outside, getting a, a, fresh, a breath of uh, fresh air. And so we set up uh, the, um, it was called uh, Toronto Community Bikeways Coalition. We go by um, Community Bikeways. And the idea was we, we asked for our demand and that was a, a letter signed by 120 uh, community groups, a demand for 100 kilometers of new uh, new temporary bikeways to mirror uh, bus routes and subway routes. So the idea being that a lot of uh, essential workers and people reliant on transit were very reluctant to take transit initially. And so we thought, uh, well, the best way to accommodate them would be uh, to have temporary bike lanes 100 kilometers across the city, as I say, mirroring the busiest transit routes. Sorry about that. I'll take, try to take the phone off the hook. <laughs> right, that was what uh, so I gotta ask you, what's the most challenging thing you found the first when you started off with all these, what you wanted to start with the bike paths and all, which is a... Yeah, well, initially I, you know, I helped start a group called uh, Bells on Bloor, and uh, that was in 2007. And I'd been inspired by other activists who had been calling for a Bloor Danforth bike lane. And so, and I'd been participated uh, with people like Hamish Wilson, Angela Bishop on, on rides that, you know, had to 20, 25 people uh, from Jane to downtown along Bloor Street. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a thousand people to do that? And nice. uh, so, so we, we brought together uh, a number of uh, activists, as I mentioned, uh, Hamish and Angela, also uh, Kristen Courtney, uh, Elizabeth Marchand, uh, Doug, uh, Water, uh, Doug uh, Waterson, who was the uh, uh, owner of uh, Curbside Bikes. And uh, we decided it'd be fabulous to have a big parade uh, from High Park to uh, Queen's Park to give people an idea of what the city might look like if it had a lot more people on bikes on our roads. So the first year, uh, that was in 2007. We got 500 people together to do that on a ride. It was a family-oriented ride, kids, uh, the elderly, every uh, age group, and it was a fun ride. The second year, we had 1,000 people, and the third year, we had 2,000 people. Uh, so so it really grew, but uh, it, it simply 
reaffirmed our view that uh, people wanted to be on bikes and they wanted to be on roads, but it wasn't safe to do that. So that amount of interest really got us to doing a lot more things. Initially, we thought, well, if we just show City Hall how much people want to cycle, yeah. they will say, wow, this is a great idea. Let's put in bike lanes. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not that easy in no, Toronto. No. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so we, we transitioned from that to doing continuing the rides, but doing, you know, doing videos, doing deputations, uh, doing lo lobbying at City Hall, uh, doing um, uh, bike counts, uh, all kinds of things. And uh, finally, we got that bike lane in place in 2016. So it took, what's that, uh, nine years for the pilot to be uh, put in place and 10 years for it to be made uh, permanent. So that's, but, but our thinking was, if we can get it in, yeah. Uh, even a small portion into this uh, very popular cycling area, um, then that's our foot in the door. And I would say, looking back over that, um, we were right in that because that foot in the door got us um, Avenue Road to Shaw. Then we got Shaw to Runnymede. Now we're working on the extension. We got Danforth uh, during the uh, pandemic. And uh, then we got Young Street. So we're starting to build that network. It's starting to fit together. Still some work to do, but it's but the uh, Young for All finally passed. That's nice, you know. Yeah, Robin Richardson and Young for All did a fabulous uh, job. It showed, again, how much work is involved. Uh, it, it shouldn't, uh, as we put it, shouldn't be a popularity contest to get a, a safe road. But sadly, that's that's what uh, the fight over Young Street showed yet again, that you needed to show you had a majority support simply to get your basic right of safe passage on our roads. I find it so frustrating for me. I find it frustrating to like see you guys. You're all volunteer. You're a lawyer, right? You're volunteer. Yeah. This is on your own time. This is, you're you're not paying for this, but you guys are. And this pisses me off as running for mayor. <laughs> just pisses me off seeing like, this. I kudos for all your struggles. And I interviewed Robert and Richard. Uh, Robert, Robert and Robin, and just hearing their story. And you're you know it's so frustrating. It's like why does it have to be a fight? You know it should be just so standard. You know. I mean, I'm in the military. I lived all over the world. I biked everywhere. I lived in Milan. Like it's a norm today. It's a norm there. Montreal twenty years ago was like what we're going through right now. Twenty years ago, Montreal they went through, but it should be such a struggle. And it just pains me to see. I mean, I, I love you guys and your, your passion, but I shouldn't have to be like that. You should have to fight and struggle and like it took you nine years to get your foot in the door. Like you know, it's just it's reluctant. Uh, the, the gas and all that stuff. You know, trying to convert. It's getting there, you know. I think it's great. Young for all. Hopefully, get to the uh, uh, Eglinton Station and the Danforth going all the way down to the end. But my, if I get elected, I said let's complete it. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah. the uh, you know the uh, you know Crosstown Bloor Danforth and Crosstown Young Street are are really central elements to a network that we're still fighting to get. But you hit the nail on the head when you said. You know, they're all volunteers. I mean, if, if we were, you know, in the auto lobby, we'd probably be, be living in big mansions in Rosedale. But, uh, you know, charged by the hour now, you'd be rich. <laughs> that's right. But uh, most cycling advocacy, as most road safety advocacy, is really done by, by volunteers. So, you know, there are some paid jobs, but it simply shows kind of the passion that people have for cycling, uh, that they're willing to do it over many years on their own time. And that's, really pretty well across the board in terms of cycling advocacy. Uh, it's really impressive, the passion that you see of people, um, the people exhibit. And uh, also, but it also shows the injustice of the system. The fact that here you are riding a, uh, you know, a little, a, a bicycle, no pollution, it's quiet, it's healthy, and yet you've got to fight 
uh, for every uh, inch or centimeter of space. You're basically you're fighting for good health. <laughs> you know, that's right. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, when they passed the young crowd, when they got a pastor in motion there not too long ago, I was actually in tears. Like, so I was like, okay, I met two of you guys. I met, I met Robert and, and, and Robert, right? Interviews. And just hearing their stories and their passion, I didn't meet anybody else. Now you're going to get to the first person I met for biking. But I said, you know, I seen all the lists, the names you mentioned. I've seen their faces. And, uh, Stuart is another one. I just like, you know, oh my gosh. I said, oh, I said, you know, I was like, oh, you got to sit back and go like, 30 years from now, people are going to look back and I'm going to put, make sure I'm going to get on my, I'm doing, I'm working on a bike uh, called Pedal Teal, a bike pod, video pod. And I work on the website and I'm going to get all your names on there. I know volunteers like an honorary position. Some people don't like to be uh, recognized. They just like doing it. I'm like that too. But you know what? I think it should be done. Like your name should be on there. So people look back and say, hey, you started this. Albert Cole, who's this guy? He started this 20 years ago. You know, thank you so much. There has to be a beginning and there has to be an end, right? So when people look, how does it come about? Like, like, it'll, like it, Kind of like you're all like you're all like city landmarks, basically, right? You're like, where'd they come from? How they get established? You know, twenty years from now, when they'll see a little. Yeah, sign. That, that, it, it's really true that uh, you know there's so many people, even on the young, you know, in the young fight, there's so many people that were involved in that over many years, and uh, it, it's it's never a case where there's sort of a a, a tipping point. The truth is that everything builds up uh, to a point until you finally get success. But all of those people, often over many years, are 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 not are forgotten or they're not recognized. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, that's generally how advocacy works. Like this that's idea true. that yeah. all of a sudden it was, you know, one person or one event that uh, tipped the scales. The truth is, it, it's it's a cumulative process. All of that work over many years feeds yeah. into the ultimate success. Yeah, just like again, yeah, you're right. you're very humble. <laughs> just being modest about it, but. I, I'm, I'm, I do volunteer work where, like, I do my campaign last year, I did volunteer people. I take the pictures. I'm not a picture guy just for the election, but now I got to take pictures and I'll read, you know, photo ops and all that. I don't really believe that, but like I said, I've done a lot of volunteer work all around the world, and I just I just do it and get it done. But I to get to the point, he's like, you know, these guys have done this so much volunteer. They've done their work, and they just put it out there. And there's the – I was talking to Robert about that. I said, is there actually a history book or anything in a webpage that we have the, the history of biking growth that you're part of, like your name's on there? Part of the, this uh, Danforth was started by Albert Cole and this and all these names that they started back in 19, da, 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 like you said, okay, like nine years ago. I didn't know that existed. You told me that right now. I did, I can. Do you find it anywhere on a website? What you just told me? Like nine um, years well, ago? well, it's a good question. Uh, in fact, over the last uh, number of years, I've been working on a on a, a cycling history book about uh, oh, Toronto, nice. and that's well, the plan is to have that published before the end of the year. That's I do great. have a publisher, but but the, that was precisely the idea of what you were saying. Like, it seemed to me every time I did a bit of research, I thought, wow, there are other groups that have done exactly this already. And then it was sort of like, I mean, the expression is peeling the onion. Every time you looked a bit further, there was so much more to be seen. And um, and it went all the way back to the 1890s. I mean, it was a different dynamic then. Yeah. It was it was really the wealthy classes that cycled. There was a novelty. And and then it changed, you know, with the into the 20th century and into the 1950s, 60s, the bicycle really le um, reached its low point. And then we saw sort of a little bit of revival into the 70s and then again in the 90s. And that's sort of a trajectory that we're on now. But it's been a, a slow process that started about half a century ago. And we often say, well, look at the Dutch. And then they say, well, they were, you know, they were different. Well, the truth is, in the 1970s, all the things that we talk about today, um, air pollution, uh, physical fitness, 
um, you know, trying to have car-free cities, all of those things we talked about in the 70s, and there was a movement, but it simply didn't succeed. The only thing that's new today in terms of that conversation is climate change. So that's 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 something we've added to the equation. But all of these things that we're doing today were started by advocates in the 70s, you know, with, with the whole kind of environmental consciousness, Pierre Trudeau and participation, all of those things started in the 70s. Those they participation, uh, I remember those days, yeah, yeah. Participation, uh, yeah. Trudeau was a great uh, fitness buff and uh, yeah. there was a fitness uh, um, revolution. People really uh, excited about uh, fitness and riding bikes and that it all fit together. But um, unfortunately, we didn't get over the hump at that time. Other countries did, the Netherlands uh, and uh, you know Denmark and so on. But uh, we didn't make it over that hump and it's partly because our car culture is so strong and it's uh, such a, a formidable foe. I didn't give it a couple from uh, uh, Lisbon. It's in my my, uh, my video uh, father. Uh, Lisbon, Portugal, young couple. And they're advocates for, uh, great, great advocates for climate, uh, fuel, hot biking, no zones. And they said to me, they need it because you guys have a lot of big cars in Canada. <laughs> It was hilarious to hear their talk, the big SUVs and all that. But how do you drive around that so much? Like, did you have a lot of gas up there or what? It was hilarious to hear their their view of how we live, right? You know, I'm going to ask you a personal question if you can, you can answer it if you want. Uh, what drives you to do this? What drives you at the beginning to start? What drives you each day to do this? Personally, yourself. What makes the people like, what makes you, what makes you do this, Robert? What's, what's it for you? Why do you do it anyway? Why do you waste your time? Volunteering all these hours, getting things done. Let's, you could, you're a lawyer. You, you make good money. You don't have to do anything. You can just sit back and enjoy your luxury. But you're out there doing things, right? So what drives you? What got me involved was um, I recall a specific moment, and uh, we're sitting around with a, a group of uh, neighbors, and uh, I remember someone saying, uh, "You know, bike lanes would be nice on Bloor Street, but it's not realistic." <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, what is the reality? that you accept, I mean, is the reality that we have climate change of air pollution and all that noise and, you know, road danger, is that the reality that we're supposed to accept? So so, so that to me was really a, a pivotal moment where I said, that's not the reality that I, I want for my city or my country. Um, and and it's really my job to get involved. I mean, you, you, you know that uh, a lot of people have great ideas and they say, and, and we often hear, wouldn't it be great if someone yeah. did this, did yeah. that. Well, I mean, there is that someone doesn't exist. It's either you or me or <laughs> someone that we're sitting beside. So so for me, that was a pivotal moment. And I would say for, for me, it was simply a question of just simply seemed the right thing to do. I mean, to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, why I do it. It just seems like the right thing to do. And it, probably a lot of advocates are in exactly that same position, yeah. right? I mean, if you're, I suppose if you're, you know, if you're making a lot of money at it, you can say, well, this is, you know, it's a lucrative business. That's why I do it. But I think for many of us, it's just a question of justice, right? Because many of us, when we ride on the roads, we do have that sense of sort of, you know, um, sense of just seems unfair. We, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're doing what uh, sort of the state tells us to do is a good thing. And yet it's dangerous. And when you are passed by a car or truck, you have that sense of the injustice of it that you're doing the right thing and yet you're certainly not treated as if you oh, matter. Yeah. And I think that sense of injustice, as others have said, it forms your political consciousness. And, and I think that was the case for me. I think you have a strong sense of this 
doesn't seem quite right. And for many people get in, get involved in advocacy, and I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that this isn't my case, but for many people, it's because they've been, um, they've been hit by a car or they have a family mem member that's died or they know someone else, a loved one that's uh, died or been seriously injured. I mean, that motivates their advocacy. I'm at least fortunate to say that's yeah. not my case, uh, but for many, that is the case, sadly. Yeah, it's sad when you say like tragedy drives you to do a good thing, unfortunately, right? You know, yeah, yeah. I call them accidents. Sorry. Ed. I would say, you know, many of them are accidental advocates yeah. in the sense that it, it is what we call accidents, what, what today we call crashes or collisions that motivates them to try to right these injustices. Like uh, like traffic lights, like down here on the road, they had to put a light there after, at a church after struggling for four years. Four people died crossing the street because the old zoning laws, there's Victoria Park and Pharmacy, and there's no light in between, right? For the old zoning laws. So they fought that and they got it. Fine, but four people had to die. My point is, you have to die to get something done around you or what? It's just sad to say that, right? Instead of president, basically. Well, yeah, in fact, I remember speaking to Martin Rees at Advocacy for Respect for Cyclists, and uh, I made the comment that you have to die to get things done. And yeah. he said, that's not that's not actually enough. No. And uh, the <laughs> truth is, the truth is, sadly, we've seen uh, cases where people have died, and yet it hasn't motivated a change. And no. that that's, you know, perhaps the saddest part. Yeah, it's unfortunate. People ask you, like, they go, so what do you volunteer? So I say, I always say, why not? You know, it's the right thing to do inside. You know, how do you explain it? It just feels good inside and you know you're doing it for everybody else and why should i benefit by myself just being selfish doing it for myself you know for the bike paths and not like i said you know these bike paths should have been completed years ago like back then when you started like nine years back in maybe, maybe after that get it all complete i just the uh, well now you're fighting for the uh, extension of the danforth and the future is young going to eglinton you know I, I biked there not too long ago in the ice there and uh, that's another thing with the uh, what do you think of the uh whole snow plowing the uh I see a lot of pictures. I think I've seen some of your pictures as well. The whole, uh, they, uh, they sh one side, they'll shovel the sidewalk, but not the bike path. And they'll do the bike path, but not the sidewalk. <laughs> so they give you a choice. Yeah, it, an, yeah. Well, in terms of my advocacy, I've been focusing on, on Bloor West. In other words, the extension from uh, running me to the city border with uh, Mississauga. But in terms of the, well, I mean, you know, progress is slow, right? So, so the fact that we this year for the first time in the downtown area have uh, our sidewalks cleared, I mean, that's actually something to be pretty excited about. That good, yeah. uh, that after all those years of not getting that done, uh, we're finally getting our uh, sidewalks plowed, and that, that's a step forward. I mean, there's some growing pains there for sure. I know on our street, we'll have the uh, sidewalk plow go through, and then the uh, street plow will come by and push all the snow back onto the sidewalk. And it's actually sometimes a bit worse because now you've got all the ice and uh, yeah. you know the chunks that have been pushed onto the sidewalk. So, so it's uh, so so I'd say it's probably something we sh should be uh, celebrating that we finally got that. There's obviously some growing pains, and uh, even with bike lanes, like uh, I get excited when I see uh, a snow plow on on the bike lanes, and they're putting down a little bit of salt, uh, and that's you know that that's progress as well. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect yet, but uh, but we're moving in the right direction. The idea ten years ago that we get bike lanes plowed, um, nobody would have believed that. So they're laughing about yeah. What do you want? Who bikes? They say who bikes the winter time, right? The Precisely. Thing. They make excuse not to get the job done, right? You know, I get, a lot of, I, get, I get I get from people around around the world. I get emails a lot. Uh, a lot of people watch the Young for All debate on YouTube. So people from different parts of the world that don't have bikes at all or lanes. So the email man said, uh, 
how do we get started? How do we how do we get in contact with these people? We want to do the same thing. So basically, believe it or not, what you guys are doing are actually inspired other people around the world, other countries around the world. They don't even have bike lanes. Like uh, I I think that's re really true. Like I mean. Certainly, we want to measure ourselves against you know what we need as opposed to what others have. But and but right now, you know, we often look to Montreal, and Montreal is doing a lot better than we are. Um, and we often forget that when we go to other cities around the province, uh, we're quite a ways ahead yeah. uh, of them. But but we really, I mean, the measure, the true measure is where we need to be, and that's where we need to be in terms of uh, climate change, where we need to be in terms of road safety and public health, affordability, all of those things. So that's the real measure. Where do we need to be to uh, satisfy those demands? And right now they're talking about the Gardner as an issue for election, right? Like I wanna get the Gardner tear down and I've seen pictures of it. I've been around the world. I've seen, we, I think we're a lot of the last few cities that have a elevated expressway. I, uh, I saw the documentary in Chicago, they tore it down after they did the underground uh, highway. But they still have traffic problems after that, you know. But I'm just saying that uh, I think um, you tear it down, you get rid of it. You know, people are worried about where's the traffic going to go. But I think you have to, you got to like, like you said, around the world, like in Milan or uh, where's that Milan, and also parts of Holland, they've got rid of the uh, traffic. Like it's now a no traffic, no parking zone, right? So the cars are on the outside, and they either bus it in or uh, or bike it or a taxi. Like bike taxis are big in parts of Europe. I don't know if you've been there. What parts of your even you've probably seen it like in england i was in england I, in milan i used to take a taxi to the base every day for two years i took my car to the airport that was it and it was great so i come over here i say hey i took a bike taxi but and then it's funny because we have for safety questions we already over there i just get on the back seat of the moped no helmet or nothing just sideways and wrap my arm on the gun take me over so-and-so right it was no big deal right you know <laughs> so funny but we have have learned you know we've got long experience knowing that uh, building more roads is not going to solve the uh, no. motor traffic problem. I mean, all it does is it creates uh, more motor traffic. And I would think, it, you know, even one success that I feel proud of is I, I know once they installed the, the Bloor bike lane, they did counts of cars before and after. And afterwards, 4,000 cars had simply disappeared. Like, we, right. we don't know where they went, but they were gone. <laughs> so, it thought, did, well, yeah, so it happened. So it can't be done, right? I think I'm more, well, sorry, go ahead. Well, the um, and the one thing we hear now is, well, if you have, um, you know, if you put in bike lanes, then uh, the road will be constricted, more people idling, more more um, climate change. And it's it's actually quite the opposite, because of what what I always say is if building more roads was the solution to climate change, we'd have solved it a long time ago. Yeah. But what we do know is that when we when we narrow roads, I mean, that's the only way to do it. It's all about allocation of space. If you. Um, make roads very wide and make it very easy to drive people will do that because that's not only are you making it convenient but you're also sending the signal that that's how we get around and it's the same thing with with the gardener debate now uh, people are saying well what about the traffic well the truth is i mean those roads induce traffic we, we know that and uh, but we also know the solutions i mean if you look at toronto right now and, and it's you know we're in this fight for so long that we often fail to notice that we're actually making progress. So yeah. so look at Toronto right now. They've got the Ontario line uh, going in. We've got the uh, the Finch LRT. We've got the Eglinton Crosstown, the Eglinton West, the Scarborough. Now, so, so some of those individual decisions are a bit questionable, but but there is a lot of transit going in. So, so the bizarre thing about the Gardner Expressway, especially the Gardner East, is that we're taking a bit of this 
uh, you know, a portion of this expressway and we're going to move it to a new location yeah. and rebuild it. I mean, that is a colossal project. And if you look at it on paper, you'd say, well, it's, we're just moving this thing over a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but then when you, you really have to walk or cycle along it oh, yeah, to yeah. see what a colossal project this is. And uh, when you see these cars, if you're on the highway and you're driving along, what you, you look beside you and see the guardrail, and that's all you see, right? right? But when you're under it or beside it, you see how massive this infrastructure is. And the whole idea that we, in 2023, in the midst of a climate crisis, are going to build um, an elevated expressway, I mean, that's going to be an embarrassment for the city. But it's also going to be an embarrassment for those councillors who could intervene now and say, you know, that project might have made sense where when Jim Karagiannis and Rob Ford and, you know, Giorgio Mammoliti were there, but it doesn't make any sense for today's realities. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to own that uh, decision not to intervene, especially on the Gardner West, where you still have an opportunity now to intervene and to uh, to change course, to save a lot of money, and also to save us the embarrassment of building. And this project, you know, the actual construction will start in 2026. That's going to be an election year. Save us the embarrassment of during it, an election year, starting to rebuild an elevated expressway. You said that uh, they don't they don't appreciate how big these things is. They let you walk around or bike around. It's like any it's like when you drive. When I, I bike to Montreal, so I say because there's a lot of hills there, you know, going up and down. But you, in the car, you don't realize it. But when you're on a bike, you go, oh my gosh, I appreciate it now. <laughs> you know. So that's what they need to go out there, and take a walk, bike around, see how big this thing's going to be. I saw. It. Bike, like you bike around going, holy smokes, this is going to be nuts, you know, let alone the traffic. And that's, yeah, and that's precisely what we're saying to council right now. Give us an updated report. What could possibly be your reason for not wanting to update the public eight years after this project was started on where we're at with it? Look at what are the updated costs because you've the lion's share of the work is yet to be done. So this is a good time. Give us the updated construction costs. You know, they were estimated 718 million eight years ago. What are they now? Yeah. But there was also land that could be freed up. That land was valued at something like $10 million an acre eight years ago. What is it worth today? And also look at what the feasible options are because um, you're going to own that decision because you've got an opportunity at this point to, to at least find out all those facts and then decide, well, Maybe maybe you're not swayed. Maybe you say it's still a really good decision. Well, that's fine, but it's your decision. So we know in history, you know, um, um, I loved a book called The March of Folly, and they look at various events through history where you thought, why did people pursue this particular path? And one of them was the Vietnam War, where, you know, successor presidents had an opportunity to intervene, but they all had reasons for not doing it. Um, but but this is the same folly that we're pursuing today. If you have an opportunity to intervene and you don't, well, you, you're going to be remembered for that failure. Uh, but when you're in it, it seems to make perfect sense. But that's all we're saying now. Give us a report on the updated costs, the foregone revenues, and the feasible options. That's, that's a simple question of uh, transparency. It's a simple question of prudent financial management. And it's simply due diligence, especially when you're talking about $1 billion, which is a figure so large that I think most of us can't comprehend. So this council, over the next number of years, will probably spend lots of time arguing about $10,000 decisions and $50,000 decisions. But for a $1 billion decision, their attitude is, well, we decided that eight years ago. 
we're not touching that one. No, I saw pictures of the uh, heating channel there, like the for the the one I'm building, like uh, a whole area built up with uh, ravines and canoes. So I'm thinking, like they're gonna build this thing, right? This contraption. So how are you gonna advocate for climate change and all? We got this highway going this way. You got canoes under the water because with anything with that it comes with pollution, right? With gas and all that, and that it defeats the purpose of making this whole greenery area. Like I saw the pictures there. And I said, okay, you want to do that? Why are you going to put this thing there? It doesn't make any sense. So well, well, well that, that's ex exactly the point. Is uh, So you're, you're spending all this money developing that area, which is a pretty exciting area for the city. You've got beautiful new bridges. You're going to have beautiful new parks, a new waterway, a sort of a revitalized Don River. And then you're going to, at the edge of it, you're going to put a 1950s era <laughs> expressway. It, it's totally incongruous. And uh, that's the question they need to be asking. Because people are going to, like I don't, my friends in Europe, they're going to come over and say, why did you build this thing? You've got this beautiful park and greenery, like you said. <laughs> it is embarrassing. I mean, I don't know. I just, uh, I, know, I just heard the other day that they, uh, uh, who is it, Bradford? They don't want to meet the 40 groups, the advocates for the, uh, they want an update. They want to present. So they don't want to go through the whole round of arguments and, you know, debates and all that. But that, that's what it's all about. Why you want to, if you're deciding what you're going to do now, why are you not going to take a public interview? You know, like you said. They, yeah, they well, years, well, that's. Yeah, that's been, um, I was a bit disappointed in uh, Bradford saying that, uh, you know, we have to deal with this traffic congestion. I mean, that's that's no longer in 2020s. We don't deal with traffic congestion by building more roads. No. We deal with it by building transit, by getting people out of, you know, onto their bikes or walking. That's that's the, you know, the way we do things now in Toronto. After, he's a, he's a bike a advocate. I'm surprised because he's a bike advocate. When I first, I've been watching his career since he started, he's always promoted biking. And you know, bike lanes and also like to go like complete opposite, like what you what you wanted to get done. It's like put all your bike lanes here. Let's put a highway over there now. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Kind of like an oxymoron, you might say. I like using that word sometimes. You know. But, well, what what we what we certainly say is um, nobody should be afraid of facts, and that that's what we call our group Gardner East uh, Transparency. What we're simply saying or get. What we want to do is get the facts and nobody should be afraid of facts, whether you're for the gardener or against it. Um, the facts uh, should not be a question of debate. We've got opportunity. I mean. Oh, you froze there, Robert. Put it in place Robert, in 2016. Robert. We updated it in 2019. I mean, that yeah. wasn't such a radical decision. I mean, that we, no. you know, they provided an update. Why not provide an update when there's a billion dollars? There'll be no decision this council will make likely that that's a single project that's involved that kind of money. I think we should do more culture change, like like the blue box. Once we the COVID, we had culture change. We got we got, um, used to the distance, you know, the protocol of safety. It's like anything, like breaking. I was talking to Robert about this and some other people. I said, we got to educate people, just like the climate, the green economy. We got to push that on people, educate young people. You know that biking is the best, walking's the best. It's more healthy. You know, because right now, I when I would do my canvassing, like I, I talk to a lot of people from different countries, they go like, "What's what's the green economy? What is that? What is even uh, never even thought about biking?" Oh, then then they, 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 a lot of people like, surprisingly told me, they go, "Oh, you got a bike lane? I didn't know you had bike lanes in Toronto." I said, "Yeah, we've got them." I had maps with I always carry maps with my canvas. I here, take a map, take a look and check it out yourself. Here, I met a lady uh, years later. I gave her a bike map too downtown of uh, the Humber. I was drawing my, my pictures there, and she started as a senior citizen. Uh, Seventy eight, she went to go biking. And all her friends and the residents did thought she was nuts. This is, and now I saw her five years later, and now she's part of a club, a seniors club, and they go biking during the spring and summer hour. And she started this. And back then, people that told her she was nuts are now part of the group. So you see, 
one uh, one person makes a change right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, to your point, in terms of elderly people, we often see that, well, the elderly can't cycle. Well, I mean, no, that's no. a ridiculous uh, oh, no. thought. <laughs> and uh, for many elderly, they, they don't, you know, not having the responsibility and the, and the danger of a car is is really a great way to, to get around. And, um, you know, I've spoken to uh, some people, they say, well, the bicycle is my wheelchair. It's easier than walking, right? And uh, uh, it's so easy to get around. And in terms of your point of culture change, well, you know, the pandemic... Uh, was really pushed us to rethink how we allocate uh, public space. And it was really, um, it gave us a real push in the right direction. Um, unfortunately, I think now that the pandemic is is almost, well, waning or has changed, yeah. we're not as worried about it, uh, that uh, we're going back to building bike lanes at a slower pace again. And uh, that push that we had from the pandemic in terms of reallocating space and changing how we think about public space, we're now reverting to some of the old ways, not all the way back, but seem to be slowly going back. And so that's why we've got to keep pushing for that reallocation of public space uh, to more efficient ways of getting around. So so we we don't, you know, often you'll hear politicians say, well, I, ga I gave this to the cyclists, you know, <laughs> sort of the idea of, well, oh, they'll be happy now. Hopefully they'll go away for a while. But like what, what, what we like need to think of is like the, the bicycle, you know? Exactly. I mean, the, the bicycle is simply um, uh, an element of a, of a good transportation system. Uh, so that's how we need to think of it. So so when when uh, we do install bike lanes, we say, well, that's that's a victory for the community. It's not a victory for like, you know, cyclists. Yeah. It's a victory for all of us because it makes our community healthier, safer, makes it easier to, to get around all, all of these advantages. And um that's kind of that's the way we're trying to get people to think. It's not it's not bike lanes for you know cycling enthusiasts. It's bike lanes for a good transportation system. Period. Yeah, to, I have friends like I have, um, two of my friends are my friends are doctors and some nurses. I know they said not officially on paper, but they said accidents have lessened since they put a bike, especially down at Danforth. They say have so many. They actually had a statistic which which actually occurs in what area, but since on Danforth the bike lanes put there the last so many years less accidents and also in young as well so that says right there you know people think slowing down with our with traffic is aggressive get that aggressive out of your nature but still bike lanes not in case of bike lanes also just safety and even like uh wheelchairs i have talked to with security dogs for walking they have walk they feel free now they're not afraid of getting hit by cars or whatever like is it, it helps opens up a whole avenue of things biking pedaling you talk about seniors on the wheelchairs i've talked to seniors yeah i have one senior she has a my library. She's uh she's got a, like a lying bed. She's got a, like a wheelchair scooter, and she's been like a figure. She goes to the library now. She's discovered the uh the bike lanes done on uh, uh by Ellington there because they put the bike lanes for the, uh, the LRT. It hasn't opened yet, but she used that. She actually takes the bike lane on her. You see her on this. It's funny. You see her on a like looking like a bed, which is a scooter. It's electric, and she goes to her uh library. She goes to her grocery shop. She's now she's she's great. She never had that. She didn't have that opportunity before but because it's there. She uses it. So it's just. Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah, and that's precisely um, what, what, if you look back, every bike lane that we install virtually, and it's like, as soon as the bike lane's installed, lots of people cycle on it. I mean, except if it's in a, you know, way out of the way place that no one needs it. And it's always like sort of a eureka moment. Wow, people are, people, when there's a bike lane, people cycle. But that eureka moment is repeated every time. Yeah. And it's like, at the point, we should say, of course, if we install bike lanes, people will use them. 
that's because it's it's such an enjoyable way to get around it's 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 easy it's healthy it's affordable but we seem to every time we put them in not only do we go through the same arguments each time about well how will it affect business how will it affect the motor traffic this and that we do that same thing and we have to dispel all of those myths and then we say wow look at all those people cycling and it's like why don't we you know, get through all of those steps a bit more quickly. And yeah, just you, already, you, already, you already fought, you already struggled before, and now you got to do it again, right? The same struggle, the same fight, you know, like, so, just take the so example. Sit. It's already improved already on Danforth. It's ready to be done. Why do you keep kind of, like I said, keep having a fighting, extend the Danforth line down to the way down to the airport line, right? It shouldn't have to be a fight. Well, we, yeah, we do the same thing every time, uh, you know, there's a debate. People say, I really love cycling, but not here. And uh, so, so then we we search for these mythical. Sorry, I want to catch up. You want to go for another round? Or you got time limit? Yeah, yeah. Let's go go for another. Uh, okay, a bit. I'll, I'm going to cut off here. I'll just have, just sign on the next one right away. Oh, I'll do that. Okay, so I'm going to cut off here. I'll be back in two seconds. We'll be there. And I'll just.